Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is Marcos Navarro Garcia. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the pronunciation of his name, his full name in Spanish, because what I just said was obviously the English definition. But Marcos is a people and culture professional who is currently specializing in employee engagement and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. His passion for DEIB is grounded by his experience as a DACA recipient in the United States. Marcos grew up being keenly aware that he was living a marginalized experience and he's dedicated his career to empowering others with the knowledge to vocalize this experience. Marcos currently dedicates his community involvement to helping Latinx professionals succeed in the workplace. He's a proud graduate of Butler University and is also passionate about increasing access to higher education for marginalized communities. Enjoy. Are you a corporate professional who is an immigrant or a child of immigrant? Are you looking for a community of support to advance your corporate career? Immigrants Incorporate, IIC, is a nonprofit that is building a community for you. Come and join us on Facebook. The Facebook group is Immigrants Incorporate. Belong and thrive in the workplace. See you there. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is Marcos Navarro Garcia. And hopefully I said your name right. And Marcos, you can correct me if I didn't. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. And that was perfect. That was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect pronunciation. But yeah, I'm wonderful today. It's sunny here the day of recording in Indiana. And so it's been a gloomy winter. And so I'm just happy there's some sunshine. Oh. (laughs) Did you pass some of your weather to San Diego, California? Because we're having a rainy, cold day. <laughs> oh, no. That would make me so sad, being in San Diego. And I like, know, right? Oh, everybody no. Thinks we, everybody thinks we don't really have, you know, bad weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess so. I guess it had to go somewhere. I'm just glad it's gone from here. I got to be honest. It was it was a gloomy winter over here. It got a little tough, but we're, we're making it through. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, Marcus. Well, thank you so much for connecting with me and coming on. I am looking forward to this conversation myself because we are new connections. So some of yes. the stories, yes. I haven't heard them. So exactly. So let's dive right in. Um, yeah. Tell us about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up, a little more about your immigrant story. And as yes. Well, of course. You know what? This is the first time I'm saying this. Like, I've thought it for a long time. But my name, I'll say it in English and I'll say it in Spanish because I, I answered it both and I like both. So oh. you said it perfect. Marcos Navarro Garcia, for those who are speaking English, if you're listening and you like Spanish, Marcos Navarro Garcia. Uh, I think is the original idea my mom had in mind, but both are equally as valid to me. So, uh, so is that a middle name and a last name? So no, it's actually two last names. Um, oh. What's funny about, so it's, I don't hyphenate it because it's not hyphenated on my legal documents. Okay. And so I just like, I just don't hyphenate it, but I think it's technically supposed to be hyphenated, oh. but it's, I just don't, it's not hyphenated in my legal documents. I'm just like, you know what? I won't mess with this. Cause I've had issues with that before where they're like, Oh, uh, there was a hyphen or there wasn't, and yeah, fiascos, you know. But yeah. so yeah, the yeah. Changes it. it change, the hyphen makes it obvious that it's an hyphenated last name. Exactly, exactly. As opposed to a, a middle name, but I can't try to say it's Spanish style because <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> and that is okay. That is, see, that's why, like, I I like both. I know, I know, you know, everyone has their preference. I like both. If like, you know, yeah, someone who speaks Spanish comes up to me, Marcos is awesome. And if you don't speak Spanish, Marcos, I've been called Marcos my whole life. And Wait, that, you just said exactly the same thing. What yeah. Did you say? say your first name in English and then in Spanish. Yeah, Marcos and then Marcos. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. And like, Marcos. it's like Mar versus Mad, like ah. Cos versus Cos. Like, it's just different, like, phonetics, right? And so, like, some folks are really passionate about it. Like, I did, I did like the advice, you know, they're like, like, that's not what your mother named you, right? Your mother didn't name you Marcos. She named you Marcos, right? And that resonates, but at the same time, like, I also just view it as, like, okay, that, that's how you say my name in English versus how you say it in Spanish, you know? And I think both are valid. I love it. As long as it's not Marcus, Marco, Mark, like, I've had Marco Polo, like, that I don't really care for, but like, yeah, I answered about Marcos and uh, Marcos. Yeah. And Marcos. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's similar to me. My my full first name is Damilola. Oh, okay. It's actually okay. a word in my dialect. Yes. So yes. If you don't speak my dialect, you can't say it correctly because those are alphabets in, in Yoruba language. So if you don't speak the language, you can't pronounce it quite right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am not like, super particular about how people say it um but i definitely know when it comes to changing the meaning of your name or changing completely changing the words uh, it makes a difference yeah yeah no yeah of course definitely and i think um when, yeah, whenever whenever i know it's going to resonate i'll say marcos just because you know just to signify to people i'm proud of that i love that and thankfully i speak spanish right and so um yeah well, that's the, um, and so you asked me to introduce myself, right? I spent quite a bit on my name. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's part of it. I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's part of your background. I, I said, let's get to meet you. Share a little bit about your background and, and your immigration story. Yeah, of course. And so, um, yeah, he, him pronouns, just by the way, for those wondering on the listening today or watching. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Mexico, so... 
born below the border, as I like to say, just, you know, to use colorful language, right? Um, and so I was born in Tlaltenango, Zacatecas, Mexico, but um, that's just because it was a neighboring hospital. My parents, you know, I grew up for the first year of my life in Colotlan, Jalisco, so a smaller town in the state of Jalisco. Um, and so, yeah, that's where, that's where my life started. And, you know, I, I don't remember much um, at the ripe age of two is when I came over to the U.S. Uh, with my mom. And so, our, you know, my dad was already over here working, trying to, you know, see where we could build a life over here. And so, um, you know, my journey to the U.S. started late 2001. Um, we moved around. I was told, right, I don't have recollection of this, but we, you know, a little bit in California. They tried Oregon. Um, and then eventually a lot of people from uh, the town that, you know, I was uh, spent the first year of my life in Colotlan, I'm settled in uh, Lafayette, Indiana. And so out of all places, I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know who got there, right? But that's just where everybody they knew was, uh, excuse me, where they were. And so um, that's, uh, you know, my dad followed the work and the community aspect of it, knowing that, you know, he had people that he knew that he could trust and depend on in Lafayette. And so we voyaged to Lafayette, Indiana, and that is where I grew up since I was three. Um, I'll share um, at the time of this recording, and I'm sure by the time it airs, my birthday's not till November, uh, I'm 23. And so, um, yeah, I spent the past about 20 years of my life in the U.S. And so okay. I, yeah, I grew up in Lafayette, Indiana. So for those who um, might not be aware, that's one hour, about 62 miles north of Indianapolis, Indiana, um, about 20 minute drive from Purdue University. And so I know sometimes when I say Lafayette, people are like, Purdue. And I'm like, yes, yes, I grew up. 20 minutes from Purdue, and... Um, Is that where you went to college? So, no. Uh, so, I went to Butler University in Indianapolis, Indiana, and so um, it just, I don't know, it just spoke to me. I came on campus, and, like, I'm a big gut-feeling person, and, you know, maybe a gut-feeling isn't what you should follow when you're going to choose which college you're going to go to, but it's what oh, I did. Sometimes it works. Sometimes, Whatever works. <laughs> sometimes it worked, and I don't regret it one bit. Um, but, you know, funny enough, it was... It was cheaper for me to go to Butler University, a private school, instead of Butler, uh, excuse me, instead of Purdue, because, um, you know, we'll get into it because of my uh, my immigrant status, right? I grew up undocumented, and so I became a DACA recipient at 15 years old. And so um, the state of Indiana bars undocumented students from um, accessing in-state tuition. And so, uh, you know, Purdue initially was wanting to, and IU were initially wanting to charge me uh, out-of-state tuition or no, excuse me, international tuition. And then when I provided like proof that I grew up in the US, they waived that and brought me up to out-of-state tuition. And then there was no getting beyond that, unfortunately for me in the in the public school setting. And so um, even though I've lived in Indiana since I was three years old, right? I know people in Illinois, from Illinois, who were able to file some paperwork and get in-state tuition in Indiana. That's, wow. You know, you know it's, it's, I just, I remember that being very much a, a light bulb moment for me that something fishy was going on around me for sure. And so, um, but yeah, anyway, I went to Butler University, studied critical communication and media studies in Spanish. Um, and so uh, how I explained my first major, uh, the communications major, you know, I essentially studied how, how to analyze media um, and just how to analyze the way that um, our, our society's values, our culture, um, all the isms, Right. All these dynamics show up in the media and how, you know, media just just it's such a large part of our consciousness and how it like just helps shape our reality, shape like the scope of our thoughts. 
And so um, it's such an important institution, right, to constantly critique and analyze. And so I'm really glad I, I gained those skill sets because they're just so transferable to everything else, right? I can look at a corporate setting. I can look at an organization, um, a community, right, through that lens of like, let me critique this. What's playing out here, right? Um, and then my Spanish major, right? I did grow up speaking Spanish, but um, I wanted to strengthen those skills. And then, you know, I was able to learn more about culture, uh, literature, history, um, that, you know, I just didn't get in my K through 12 education. And so, um, yeah, professionally right now, I'm a people in, oh, no, excuse me. This is about uh, my immigration story. Yeah. No, you're, you're, going, you're going into the next phase, which is perfect. I know, I know. I, I think you, you, are, you are in the flow. And I yes, I am. You, you know? I am. <laughs> Tell us about the transition into the, the corporate workplace, into your professional career. Yeah, of course. And so, you know, I shared, you know, a bit about, you know, my immigration story, right? Being a DACA recipient, you know, it's a, it's a tough position to be in in the U.S. You know, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty. And so when I was a senior in high For school. who don't yeah. know what that is, can you explain what being a DACA recipient means? Yeah, of course. So DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, it was an executive order um, issued by President Barack Obama in June of 2012. And so what the executive order says is that for um, the youth that were brought here as um, minors, as children, um, you know, illegally, we'll use that word for, you know, the sake of this explanation, right, um, or unlawfully, um, you were eligible for some reprieve, essentially. So you're eligible because for a few because things. Because you're acknowledging the fact that you were body as a child this is the only exactly exactly right like i didn't necessarily make the choice at two years old to immigrate over here right i just i guess one day i woke up and i was here right Right. and so this um, was afforded to you independently of your parents status exactly yes yes exactly and so um you know most DACA recipients parents are undocumented and unfortunately are eligible for kind of different pathways just depending on the situation right but um Yes, regardless of my parents' status, it was more about, you know, my my status. And so, yeah, this reprieve offers DACA recipients a few, you know, you can call them benefits, right? So um, we get a social security number. Um, we get an employee authorization card. So we're able to work legally, right? Get, get put on payroll and receive benefits, um, pay our taxes through payroll, right? Um, and then we're also eligible for driver's licenses. And so that's huge, right? In terms of uh, safety. Huge. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Like now you have a form, le- you know, legal form of identification, right? That you need right. to present even to get into a bar, to get a drink, right? And so just, um, and then on top of that, one of the benefits they list is just, it does make the college application process easier. You know, I mentioned earlier, um, that, you know, initially the public schools in Indiana were wanting to charge me as an international student. If it wasn't for my my employee authorization card that I had because of DACA, I don't know that I would have been able to get past an international student rate, um, even though I've grown up in the U.S. my whole life, right? And right. so, um, yeah, it's... Uh, Which is like multiple times what you're going to pay as in-state if you're paying as international. Exactly, uh, exactly. there all your life. Yes. And so, you know, um, the thing about DACA, right, I think I do know it's a big reprieve for a lot of us, but it's been under attack for a long time. Right. And so September 5th, 2017 is when the Trump administration announced they were rescinding the program. And just ever since then, back and forth between the courts, it's gone. It's done. It's not. It's done. It's not like, yeah, it's definitely it's been uh, I mean, we're going on six years of limbo for DACA recipients. Yeah. So 
when you when you talk about and and this is this is something I want to spend time on. I, I think I've, I've talked to you that for the people listening to these, right? Sometimes it's the lack of awareness. Yeah, yeah. Of the legal aspects that impact when you talk about the immigrant identity. Yeah, right. Like people lump this. There's a there's a lot that we need to demystify about that category. Definitely. America, when you say immigrant, we are like we're also different. And and even even when I was interviewing people for my book, I had people that were born in the U.S. Wow, that were, okay. That were identifying as immigrant for different reasons because of their parents' status. And you know, the yeah. Environment where they grew up, right? I get you. Yeah. And then depending on the part of the country where they are, they are seen as immigrants because their parents are. In, so it's just all of these nuances of why we need to listen to everybody's story. Like everybody's story is different. Everybody's legal status is different. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, thank you yeah, for sharing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I was that was interesting for me because I moved here as an adult. So for me, you know, I'm like, oh well, I am an immigrant because I immigrated, right? Like my family didn't immigrate. So um but when I started to talk to different people who identify as immigrants, I, I began to understand that it's just different. Yeah. 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 Such, yeah, such nuances, but then, yeah, no, there's definitely so many, yeah, oh my God, we'll dive in, we'll dive in, right? Yeah, just, uh, no, yeah. we, 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 so talk about, talk about um, college experience, I mean, in the midst of what you describe as this limbo, you are still getting an education, you are in college, you are making a choice on your career, and then you're trying to find work, right, where you are not sure if somebody is going to say, I don't know, your work is not valid, or what did that limbo mean for you? That limbo meant that I didn't know. So, you know, here I am, senior year in high school, right? I'm an immigrant, first-generation student. My parents keep telling me I have to go to college. Then I don't even know if DACA is going to be around by the time I have to submit my paperwork to get into, like, you know, just to make my uh, enrollment official, right? So just that was just like, I just didn't know. I was rolling with the punches just in case I, you know, everything was fine, keeping faith that it would be fine. And thankfully, right, um, I, you know, I was fortunate enough that, not fortunate, right? It's not, it's definitely not a fortunate situation, but there was reprieve, right? It's still in limbo in the courts and that limbo has allowed me to continue um, utilizing the benefits of DACA. And so, um, yeah, in college, I was tough, right? Because um, of that awareness piece, not everyone's aware of what it means to be a DACA recipient. I think at that time, it was kind of like launched more into a mainstream discourse that, you know, a lot more people are aware of the DACA acronym and like what's happening, right? You'll see things about the dreamers, right? I think that's kind of a tagline that has made um, this something that a lot of people can relate to, right? I will, you know, just, you know, mention just briefly that I know um, a lot of the organizers that, you know, are actively fighting for the rights of undocumented people definitely are pushing for a move away from um, the dreamer word and narrative just because uh, um, it really implies that, you know, it's just us, right? The DACA recipient kids or the only, the dreamer kids, right, are the only ones who are deserving of a pathway to citizenship. Um, and so we really want to erase that mentality. No, just because somebody's less accomplished, right, or less, you know, into academics, um, you know, not this perfect immigrant doesn't mean they're not worthy of dignity, respect, rights. And so just wanted to briefly mention that, and, you know, just getting back on the topic of college, that was tough. It was isolating, right? You know, Butler University's a uh, very white school. It's a private school. And so maybe there was, I want to say I met three or four 
four other DACA recipients in my four years at Butler that were at Butler. And so Indianapolis has a thriving community of undocumented students, activists, organizers, people. And so um, I was able to connect and you'll receive a lot of empowerment from those efforts and initiatives that the leaders, uh, you know, put, put t- together for the community. And so, um, but, you know, college, despite all the challenges, I mean, you know, it definitely changed my life for the better. Um, you know, I, I remember growing up always being keenly aware of the fact that what I was experiencing was wrong. Like even as a kid, right, you know, learning about deportation and learning about the fact that because I didn't have, you know, at the time I said, oh, I don't have a passport just because that's the only word I knew about, you know, documentation, you know, I could get deported, right? I could get sent back somewhere where I don't know. I could potentially get sent back without my parents, right? Like just all these scenarios playing out in my head were always an underlying fear for me as a kid. And so like, and I just remember knowing like, that's wrong. Like, no, like my class needs don't have to think about this. Why am I constantly having to think about this? Right. And so, um, Butler, yeah. When I think of all the concerns that I had as a teenager growing up (laughs) back in Nigeria, (laughs) I'm thinking of the normal teenage concerns, right? Like you want to hang out with your friends, you want to have parties, you want to pass your exams. So thinking about your experience, you know, through those years, do you think it made you work harder or maybe not work as much? Like, how do you think it related to having that underlying worry? in addition to having to pass college. And yeah. Oh my grades. God. It messed me up. <laughs> like, I just have to be honest. It messed me up. Like when, now that I, you know, I'm removed, so, you know, from some of that trauma, right. Like, and I've been healing from it. Like I can acknowledge now that it really messed me up as a person. I think it put a big chip on my shoulder. Um, big, big chip because I felt this need to prove something to people. Like, I'm going to work harder than you because I'm an immigrant, right? No one's going to be able to say any of these things to me, about me, right? Um, Like that's, and, you know, when I, I, at the time, I just remember thinking I'm an immigrant, I'm resilient. Like that's, you know, like that's who I am. That's who we are, right? As a collective. And one one day I listened to a podcast. I don't know if it's still like active on Spotify or not, but it's called Café con Chisme, which for those who don't speak Spanish, it's coffee with gossip is the direct translation and so it's just a it's a fun little thing in uh, hispanic communities right but you know they said i'm tired of being resilient Mm. like we should not have to be resilient i should not have to be working three times as hard just to get like a third of the respect right that american citizens are getting right and so that just changed my life because yeah i did work i would say a lot I would say harder than maybe I needed to, right? And like, what does that build? I mean, that builds resentment, that builds anger. You're angry at the world. You hate the world. You hate people. And I mean, you know, just when you do that, you hate yourself. Like, you hate your life. And so I thought that the most radical thing I could do is outwork everybody. And so now, you know, when I, you know, think about advice I give to like immigrants, for example, like the most radical thing you can do sometimes is live your life enjoy your life right because I just remember feeling like the rhetoric that I grew up around like it's like immigrants had to be grateful um Yosimad Reyes is uh is an undocumented poet based in California hopefully he sees this we're kind of friends we're Facebook friends everybody he's my most famous friend I have to say (laughs) um but no he made a he said a quote um in his poetry that just really spoke to me it's like 
you know, we're often told to be grateful, even though we deserve better. Mm. Right. And so like, that's just like, that just changed my whole mindset because, you know, I grew up just internalizing this idea that I had to be grateful just for being here. Like, oh, it's not my right to be here. Like, I should be thankful that I haven't been deported. I should be thankful I have DACA. When the reality is, no, I deserve better. Like, I like we do, right? We deserve right. dignity, rights, respect, right. a pathway to citizenship. Citizens working hard, you know, paying your dues, working hard, harder exactly. than a lot of people. So, yeah, um, I, I think that that mindset of being grateful resonates with a lot of immigrants. Yeah, and because that's what keeps 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 us down. Because you keep thinking, I can't ask. Yeah. I don't need mm-hmm. I'm grateful with whatever I get. Yep, my my breadcrumbs, right? Like, yeah. oh, thank you, thank you for these, right? And so, yeah, it messed me up just for a long time. I didn't have boundaries. I didn't have like, I just I didn't believe in self care per se. I thought self care was something you had to earn. Mm-hmm. When in reality, right, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not sustaining yourself, right? And you're you're going to burn out rather quickly. That candle's gonna get blown out rather quickly and so college was college was hard right it was a journey of just you know when covid happened right awful thing but it was the first time in my life that i was able to you know since i was 15 that i could just pause i was 20 at the time and just like exist for even just for a few weeks i just like you know did my homework because you know when i was a student i wasn't just a student right i worked here i interned there and then i also interned there and then you know what let me go pick up shifts on my high school job at olive garden right (laughs) and so like I was never just a student. And so for like a few brief weeks during COVID, I was, and I was just like, well, what do I do now? And I was like, wait, I haven't watched TV in months. Literally. I hadn't watched TV since the summer. And I was like, let me watch TV. And like, I just remember how much I used to love that. Right. Like just media. Right. That's why I went to school in the first place is to study media, something I loved so much. And like just this reprieve, right? You know, it's awful thing, COVID, right? But it, for me, I was able to really pause and just think about like what I didn't want to be anymore, right? I didn't want to have to work harder than everyone else, right? And I didn't want to be so angry at the world anymore. And so for a brief period of time, I wasn't. And that changed my outlook, changed my life. So, and you know, that just kind of leads to some of the things that happened after that that leads me here today. And so, um, yeah, I think I'll pause there for now, just so we can kind of see where we're at in terms of the questions. And no, that's yeah. that's perfect. I I, I wondered. I, I think that's an important area to expand on because it's not just I went to college and then now I'm working. It's about how your background, your you know that intersection that you have being an immigrant, being a DACA recipient, and all of that really played into the way you conducted yourself while in college, right? And and so let's 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 dive into maybe the, the, the last section of this conversation, which is really how are you thriving? Because you know, thankfully you're here, you have an amazing job. I'm gonna have you share about what you currently do first. Tell us what where you work, what you do, um and and then talk about how some of these experiences that you have had is really shaping the way you do your work right now. And if you were, you know, if you were speaking to people who have, who are in the same position, who are DACA recipients, who are immigrants, who have come from different countries or have parents from different backgrounds, 
who are also in the corporate workplace right now, what are some of the advice and the tips and the resources that you leverage that you would uh, recommend? Yeah, of course. Um, so currently, right, I do. So I am the manager of employee engagement and experience for Aspire Indiana Health. So it's a relatively new role to the organization. I started in September of 2022. And, um, you know, what's really unique about my role, I would say, is that we've decoupled it from HR, which I think is a uh, uh, different, right? Because I think for a lot of organizations, no, this is, that's HR. That is a function of HR. And my supervisor has said, I disagree. I think this is its own focus area. You know, sometimes what ends up happening, right, is you have a team of generalists who, you know, spend 15 hours a week doing engagement or this and that, right? And so she just didn't want that to happen. She wanted us to make sure we were focusing completely on engagement. And so that's what I'm doing now. Um, that's, that includes, you know, really assessments, engagement surveys, listening sessions, site visits. You know, we're across five counties in Indiana providing primary health care, behavioral health care, addiction treatment services, um, and deaf services. And so, you know, we really want to ensure, you know, we're touching base with everyone and really getting a measure of what, what the experience is like here. Additionally, that includes diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts. And so, you know, one of those being the employee resource groups. We're very excited to start this year. Uh, really was the big reason that I ended up connecting with you, Lola, is because um, I joined your monthly ERG meetup. And so really wonderful. I connected with Richard, who was a guest on this podcast as well. And so he gave me some good tidbits of advice just on, you know, how to like, uh, uh, just to give you an idea, just like how to like, how do you navigate having ERGs with both salaried and hourly, hourly employees, right? And so that's a challenge we're, you know, kind of preparing for and uh, preparing to navigate as well with these um, ERGs um, in the organization. And so, um, you know, really, I think that's my favorite part of the job is the DEIB part of it. Um, that's what I would really, you know, when I, if, when I'm you think about, think of who I'm going to be professionally long-term, I'm going to be a DEI professional, practitioner, consultant, educator, right? Like that's what I'm building towards. And so um, that's really my passion area because it was DEI spaces in higher education that gave me um, the vocabulary to just understand my experience and understand that, yes, I was living mar in marginalization and um, having that vocabulary just, it empowered me to take ownership of my story and my experience and be able to like, be able to use it. And so you know, I think that actually leads me to the advice, right? Like, what advice do I have for um, immigrants navigating, um, you know, the corporate space? I think, number one, if there are ERGs in your organization, join. I just, like, that community is so special, right? And, you know, that can vary per, you know, organization, right? But, you know, these ERGs, you know, they are created with the intent of increasing retention amongst mar marginalized groups, right? And so when they truly operate under that kind of driving factor, right, it's a beautiful experience because you're meeting people from across the entire organization or company. And I mean, all you share is this identity, right? And then that opens the door for all these other cultural pieces you share, these disconnects in terms of like cultural values um, that you're finding in the workplace, right? It's, it's such a reprieve, I think, um, for a lot, for me at least, in my experience, right? So I definitely recommend joining an ERG. Um, and then I also, I would also recommend, right? Just like in the larger scope of it, right? Like don't be apologetic, right? Do not apologize to anybody about your status, right? Um, and I think too, right? This can also happen when you meet 
other immigrants, right? Because you mentioned earlier, we're, we're so different, right? Like, uh, you know, being an international student is different from being an undocumented student, right? Versus being like a refugee, right? Being someone here on a work-sponsored visa, like these are all vastly different experiences, right? And I don't, I don't ever want, I think there to be like these dividing lines, right? And these like, like, oh, like, you know, this me versus them, right? Especially they can be really competitive in a corporate environment, right? And so like, Definitely my advice to, I would say in particular, DACA recipients is don't be apologetic, right? Because, you know, immigrant in a corporate space can mean something a lot different, especially when you're in a global company, right? You know, it's different, right? You're meeting professionals who grew up and gained their competencies in their home country, right? And that is, for example, just sticking to what I know, right? In terms of like, you know, being from a Latin American country, right? Growing up there and then being brought over here with a work visa, right? Later into your adult years, that's a vastly different experience, right? From being growing up in the US as a Latinx person, right? And particularly as an undocumented person, those are such, they are vastly different experiences, but you do have that commonality, right? That you share this otherness, right? You are looked at as an outsider, as an other, and like, you know, by the majority. and in a lot of contexts, right? And so I just, you know, encourage you to not get discouraged by that. I get it. It can feel tough because, you know, you have someone that might be coming from a really great background, right? And like, it's awesome. And then here you are coming in, like me, right? My first corporate internship, you know, I just remember, not that I wasn't enough, but I just remember being like, I'm really lucky to be here because I worked in restaurants, right? You know, I haven't been preparing for a corporate life. I've been serving tables, I've been cleaning tables, cleaning toilets, answering the phone, right? And so, you know, I just know that I was fortunate enough to have an ally really take a, like a chance and really see the value in that experience and welcoming me into the space, right? And so I just want you to know that your experience is value too, right? You know, especially if you juxtapose that with maybe a colleague who doesn't have that, right? Maybe they've never worked in a restaurant. So maybe they're not necessarily accustomed to dealing with, you know, customer relationships, right? How do you mediate those relationships? Just one useful skill, right? Maybe like high pressure time management, right? You're used to being like, I have 30 seconds to get this order out before somebody throws a fit, right? And so there's so much value in what you have to bring. And so that's my advice is like, don't shy away from your experience. Don't be apologetic for it. And also don't let these dynamics divide you from, like your siblings in arms, really, because even though these are very different experiences, wide array of, you know, privileges, disadvantages, right? That's okay. Like there is still, um, should be like an air of solidarity amongst, I, I think, immigrants, because we have a lot more in common that we had, you know, than, than we have that sets us apart. And so um, definitely making sure to build community on that, I think is a really beautiful experience. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Awesome. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> more than answered it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think you touched on exactly, you know, very, very specific points, exactly what I, I, I think I wanted people to walk away with is um, the first thing I always start with when I'm working with immigrants, um, individual group coaching is identity. Everybody struggles with these identity points, you know, and if you don't deal with that, it's hard to move to the next stage of trying to thrive in your career, right? It's, forget about the, what labels other people. Other people, their labels is dependent on what they know, what they believe, which is sometimes is this much, right? So <laughs> Exactly. Your identity is really up to you. How do you identify? Be proudly you. 
And then, you know, that will kind of help to have the relevant conversation when it comes to work. Because if you think about all of the things you just described, it's an asset. You know, your background, your experiences gives you a unique lens through which you look at things, even in the current role you're, you're, you're doing, right? I mean, you're talking about um, media. You talked about what was your degree in again? Yeah, my degree, critical communication and media studies. I was like, why do you need a degree for that? Isn't that something you just <laughs> are good at naturally because of being, you know, growing yeah. up? At, I feel like this is something that just because of your background, just because of your experiences, you probably already nurtured a lot of that. Yeah. Right. When you Definitely. are an underrepresented um, individual, when you have multiple underrepresentation, when you have multiple underrepresentation, mm-hmm. it gives you a, a better way to be perceptive. Yeah, definitely. And, and situations and scenarios. And that's always an asset. That's always mm-hmm. an asset in the, in the corporate workplace, uh, regardless of countries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, bad people that are, you know, white Europeans who also struggle because they moved from their country mm-hmm. to work in the U.S., right? Yeah. So this is about that feeling of displacement, of not belonging, mm-hmm. because yeah. I am not part of the majority yeah. And I am in this new place, so I feel like I don't belong. Yeah. And, and and that by itself is the first thing we have to overcome. It's like, you know, you are you. You yeah. don't need to apologize, as you said, or for who you are. You know, you know, you know, you need to first acknowledge that you are you, you belong mm-hmm. in that space, and then work on the skill sets that you need um to thrive at work. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh my gosh, that was so good. <laughs> of course. No, thank you. I've been I like I said, I made the joke before we came on recording. I've been dying to talk about this. <laughs> and so yeah, I'm just really grateful I, for the platform. We and we talk we talked about your current job. We talked about your current company. I have guests that don't want to talk about their current company or mention the name. I'm excited that you work in a role that aligns with your passion and your yeah. focus. And you're yeah. able to share that. That's amazing. Um, but what what I really want people to walk away with is, regardless of where you walk, if mm-hmm. you if you once you begin to you know own your own identity, understand some of those things that we're talking about, you can work in the spaces that you choose to walk into, right? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. have that power to make the choices. Yes. Um, so I really wanted people to get to know the stories behind the immigrant perspective, the stories behind the employer resource group leader who is going above and beyond their day job to make an impact. There's a driving force behind all of that. And these are people um, that are, you know, they've wrestled with their own identity stories and paths and are looking to help others do the same. So thank you for the work you're doing. And um, I'm looking forward to maybe having you back to talk about your ERG journey. Oh, maybe. I would be your co-host weekly if you let me, Lola. Come on now. Don't, don't, don't tempt me now. But uh, I would love to. Yeah, we'll have yeah, to do this no, again. Because your ERG journey, that's, that, I feel like that's a different aspect of this as well. Yes. Um, and, you know, thriving in intersectionality is all about hearing the voices and, and, and what motivates um, ERG leaders, managers. Uh, I would love to do a follow-up after you launch. Okay. Yes. But thank you so much, Marcos. Uh, It was nice chatting with you. Thank you for your tips. Thank you for your advice. Thank you for your vulnerability and and sharing your story. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for the platform again. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, Yeah. Just uh, if anyone wants to connect, right? Maybe my story resonated with you, um, or maybe you have students that it would resonate with, right? Hit me up. I'm on LinkedIn. Just search me up, Marcos Navarro Garcia. 
Um, I'm one of the only ones. There's a few others. I was kind of shocked. But uh, I like to think I'll come up first. And so, um, you know, I know Lolo will provide the link. And so please, yep. please, um, I'd be happy to connect and talk more, um, you know, outside of here. So I'm just, yeah, thank you for this opportunity. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you, Marcos. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website, www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.